So, we're back in our study of Ephesians here. We're going to be on page 39 this morning. If you don't have a 39, raise your hand. I'm sure we can get you one. Okay. Can you pass those back over there? Right back there. And uh, do you have a 41? There's a 41. Okay. Um, so, last week we, we basically got through um, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and read again uh, here from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Okay, and this will give us the context for our lesson. Starting in Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children... And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Amen. So, last week we we got through verse 14. I want to remind you that Paul is in this section of the book where he is drawing these contrasts about Christian life, about practical Christian behavior. And all the way back to chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 20, Paul is drawing these contrasts about Christian life from the old self and the new self. What the old self is, how to put it off and how to forsake it, and what the new self should look like, and what our practice should be as a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's been drawing these contrasts all through there. He's going to do that again this morning. Our text is going to be verses 15 through 17. And I want to tell you, um, 
that I believe that this lesson this morning is the most powerful and practical advice that can be given to any Christian for the subject of parenting. Okay? We are not talking about parenting, but I want you to know that if you get these principles right here down, you will be equipped to be the most effective and productive Christian parent that you can be. And so, although when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to talk about parenting, when we do, I'm going to be referring back to this section of Scripture right here. And uh, there are some keys to Christian life that are in this short passage of Scripture that, if, if employed, will profoundly change your Christian life. And uh, I just want you to, uh, to understand these things, but I want you to see that it's, it, this is beyond the context of just how to live your Christian life, because certainly that's the most profound thing that affects your, your children and your families and your marriages is how do you live your Christian life? What do you do? You know, are you living as children of light? Are you living as imitators of God? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in light? And here this morning, are you walking in wisdom? And and um, so these things are a real challenge for us. But I, I hope that it's just going to really just kind of push you out, out of your comfort zone and, and into a higher place of glory and virtue to which God is calling you. And uh, so with that, we'll, we'll look at Ephesians 5:15 and following. And there it says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so, here Paul says, he says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Does anybody remember what that word walk is really referring to? Live. How you live. How you conduct your life. How do you walk is how do you live. So Paul is saying here, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Now remember what the therefore is there for, right? He's looking back to the, the former passage. And where he was telling us to walk as children of light and that the fruit of our lives should look like this. Goodness and righteousness and truth. Right? And when he told us that, he had just got done telling us that there should not be any immorality, any impurity, or any greed, which is idolatry. It must not even be named among us. Right? And he says there should be no... Um, Excuse me. There should be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, for these are improper for saints. Remember that? So when Paul says, therefore, here, he's saying, remember I was telling you to walk in love, to live in love, to be an imitator of God, he said. And remember I was telling you there shouldn't be any immorality or obscenity or greed. Impurity, it shouldn't even be named among you, but instead you should walk or live as children of light and that the fruit of that light should be producing in your life goodness and righteousness and truth. And that's who we are to be. So when we get here to verse 15, and Paul says, therefore, he's referring back to what he was just telling us. 
that we are to walk as children of light. So, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Here's what God is saying to you, Christian. Be careful how you live your life. Be very careful, he says. Here is the loud voice of wisdom calling to us. Be careful, she says. Be full of care to obey God and walk in all His ways and to love Him and to serve Him. Here the command is to be careful, to be full of care. To, to, uh, if if, um, if you uh, look in the King James when it says, um, right here, it, it says, walk circumspectly. And it's the idea of having a very focused, purposeful walk. Right? And here the exhortation is to be careful the way you live. To, to watch out what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're saying. You need to be very careful at it. It's like uh, Paul said to Timothy, he said, Watch your life and your doctrine closely, he said. Watch your life closely. Pay attention to how you live. Be very careful. Be full of care. Do not be like the lazy man or the sluggard, but like the diligent and wise man in the way you live your Christian life. In the book of Deuteronomy, you may be familiar with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. And this is the book of the Bible where the law, all of the commandments of God, which he gave to Israel through Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, are repeated They are repeated, if you will. They're summarized. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And in that, God, from uh, from Exodus through uh, Numbers, God is delivering his law to the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy, he sums it all up. Okay, And the law is repeated. And as he begins into Deuteronomy, he begins this theme there in the book. And uh, you remember in the first part, in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, we have that section of scripture which is called the Shema. Are you familiar with that? That's where, uh, this, is a, this is the thing that Israel, uh, they, they, they recite with their children in their homes daily. And this, this, uh, this is a passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You want to turn there? Let's turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. <coughs> And, and really, it's, it's um, I'm going to go ahead and begin in verse 1. He says, now this is the commandment. Now remember, he's repeating the law to the children of Israel. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you, all of the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Okay? Now remember what we're looking at in Ephesians. There it says, be careful how you live. Right? <laughs> and and uh, Moses is saying to Israel here, he says, these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which God gave me to teach you so that you may learn how to fear the Lord your God, walk in all of His ways, so that your life may be prolonged. So that you may have many days on the earth and that your life will be fruitful and blessed. 
so that your well-being will be well. <coughs> right? He says you need these commandments, you need these statutes, he says, in order to fear the Lord your God so that it may go well with you and with your sons and with your grandsons. Right? He goes on. Verse 3. Now remember, Ephesians, be careful how you live. Look what he says. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay? Now, here is where the Shema starts. It's in uh, verse 4. Okay? And the word there, the very first word, is the word hear. Okay? The Hebrew word for hear is Shema. Okay? So the commandment of the Shema is to hear. It's to hear. Because, you see, this is the first step in having understanding by which we're able to shun evil and do the right thing. You first have to hear the commandments and the statutes and the judgments of the Lord in order that you can understand them and apply them. Okay? And so the commandment for Israel to teach his sons is to hear and then to be careful and then to obey. Okay? And so he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, and so here's what uh, Moses is saying. He's saying, hear, listen, pay attention. Why? Because I'm going to give you all of the law of the Lord your God so that you might learn to fear Him. So that you might learn to walk in all of His ways so that it may go well with you. Okay? In this section of Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 2, I put this on your handout. There is a big, long list of scriptures you'll see there, Deuteronomy. You see that? Every one of those. In Deuteronomy, Moses warns Israel again and again to be careful to follow all the words of this law so that it may go well with you. Here is a list of references from Deuteronomy where this is said. And you'll see there's some 20-something references there to the idea of being careful. He says this again and again and again. You know, it's not like this is just the law of the Lord and here it all is and there you go. But what he keeps telling them in the midst of it is, be careful, be full of care, pay attention, listen, he says. Okay? And of course you know the story, right? They didn't get it. And it didn't go well with them. And these were God's people. His chosen people. Okay? And these things were written down for our instruction that we might understand. That we might learn from their lessons and their mistakes and employ the proper lifestyle. Amen? So that we invoke the blessing of the Lord in our life rather than His threatening. 
Amen? Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> with such a high and holy calling as ours, and we're back in Ephesians here, how could we Christians do anything less? How, how could we do anything less than be careful how we live? We must be very careful then how we live, what we do, what we say, what we think. And uh, I was pointing out there Proverbs chapter 2. Look what it says there. It says, discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. You see, if you're discreet, if you're careful about your consideration of life, it will guard you. And if you understand the wisdom of God, it will watch over you. You with me? You caught in a trap? It's likely because of folly. You find yourself struggling in the midst of Christian life? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you done everything you can to be careful how you live and to listen to the voice of the Lord your God and to apply wisdom and to know it and understand it and treasure it that it might guide you, that it might guard you, that it might watch over you. Proverbs 4.26 says, Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. You see what it's saying? It's not talking about walking to work. It's not talking about walking to the corner market. When he says, watch the path of your feet, what is he saying? Be careful how you live. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you think about. Be careful what you say. Right? These themes are repeated again and again and again in the Proverbs. Right? And, and so, here is the exhortation from the New Testament in the book of Ephesians when we get to practical Christian living. And what does the Word of God say there? It says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise men. Right? It is possible to be a Christian and live like a fool. Verse 15 and verse 17 both imply that. Do they not? He says, be careful how you live, right? Not as unwise, right? And what does he say in verse 17? He says, so then, do not be foolish, right? Why? Because you are a child of light. You're a child of goodness and righteousness and truth. Don't be foolish. But it is very possible to be a Christian and to live like a fool. Paul tells us, not as unwise men, but as wise. He says, if you're going to be careful how you live, you have to do it like wise men. Not like unwise. Not like foolish men. Okay? Here is Paul's contrast. You remember, Paul keeps laying down these contrasts for us, right? Here it is right here. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Okay? And then he's going to tell us how to do that. So here is yet another contrast of Paul's. This between the life of wisdom and the life of folly. Wisdom is supreme. It will guard our ways. Okay? And so I want to say to you, Proverbs chapter 4. If you will, let's turn to Proverbs 
Turn actually to chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 13. Now, remember what Paul's saying. He's saying, be careful how you live your Christian life, right? Not as unwise, but as wise. And with that, bear in mind these words in Proverbs. uh, Chapter 3, verse uh, 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord by His wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You see, God guards the way of wisdom. God guards it. And I want to tell you, God is the avenger of sin and the avenger of the ways of folly. In other words, if we live like a fool, God will see to it that we will suffer for it. Okay? You say, where's the grace in that? Well, let me tell you where the grace is in that. Do not despise the Lord's discipline, family. As it says in Hebrews 12, the Lord is treating you as sons. It says there, endure hardship as discipline. Right? Because God loves you, He says. And He rebukes us for our good, it says. Right? I want to show you some more Scripture. Write down those lines. But look here at chapter 4. And we'll look at verse 5 and following. There it says, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. You see, wisdom and discretion will guard you. She will watch over you. Why? Because God in His sovereignty guards the way of wisdom. And that's what it says in verse 26 of chapter 3. 
I'm going to talk extensively about this. So if you have a lot of questions going through your mind, hang in there for, for a few minutes. So Paul is exhorting us to be careful how we live our Christian life. And I'm showing you that this is a theme in the Bible. Okay, For instance, when God gives his law to the children of Israel, he says 20-something times to them, be very careful to do all the words of this law. Be very careful how you live. And, and uh, Paul says, don't live like fools, he says. Don't live unwise, he says, but like wise men. And, and family, in order for you to live like a wise person, you've got to have wisdom. You've got to possess it. It doesn't dwell in you naturally, or does it? Do you know the wisdom of the ages? Was it on your mind the day you were born? And whatever wisdom you have now, how did you acquire it? Bearing in mind, of course, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? So Paul tells us, he says, don't live as unwise men, but as wise. And then look what he says, verse 16. He says, making the most of your time. Making the most of your time. Here Paul tells us how to be careful and wise. Right? He says, don't be unwise, but be wise. And then what he says, look what he says. Making the most of your time. Or if you will, redeeming the time. Buying the time back is the idea. Okay? I think it's better translated here in the NASB. You know they do that to you in the NASB. <laughs> Sometimes they have a perfect translation. And other times it's like, what is this? But uh, <clears throat> here it's very crystal clear. Making the most of your time. That is something that we can do with our efforts. Right? We can make the most of our time. And so this is how Paul tells us how to be wise and not to be foolish. He says, make the most of your time. Oh, that we could regain those precious moments of time which have slipped out of our reach. You ever regret the wasting of time? If you don't, you should. Because wisdom regrets the wasting of time. Here the scripture says, make the most of it. Buy it back. This is imperative for Christians to heed. But all too often we waste our time and suffer for it. And then we wonder why we're suffering. That's the irony in it all. It's as if we cannot see the path for our feet. And let me tell you why. Thy word is a light my path and a lamp unto my feet. You want to know why you can't see the path? Because you've got to have the Word resident in the mind. The Word's got to be resident in the thinking. And when it is, then you can live that life. Then you can employ that understanding that you have. Because God's Word is the only thing that will illuminate the path of life. There is nothing else. And it is not in you by nature. By nature, you are a sinful, dark, fallen creature. You're an object of God's wrath by nature. But when you come to God in Christ, God imparts to you the Holy Spirit. And if any man is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. God now has given you the Holy Spirit to do what? 
to lead you into all truth, to illuminate your mind to the paths of the righteous, which is like the first gleam of dawn, getting brighter until the full light of day. Right? God gives us the resources that we need to live this Christian life as wise men. Let us not forsake them. Let us not forsake the surpassing riches of the grace of God that He's given us. Okay? And of course, again, these themes are all throughout the Bible. Here, Paul is telling us to make the most of our time. I wanted to point this out. How many of you have heard of the 70 resolutions of Jonathan Edwards? You've heard of those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, something like that. You have got to do this. Go to jonathanedwards.com and go down to the search box and type in resolutions and then marvel at the page that appears before your eyes. And it will take you some time and you will marvel. And it it, is just fascinating. Okay? It is absolutely fascinating. I pulled number four, five, and six out for you just so you could kind of get a thrust of the idea of what a wise man thinks about how to be careful to live his Christian life. Number four, he says, resolved. And see, here was the deal. He, he wrote down these resolutions to himself. And he said, I'm going to be resolved to employ these wise things in my life. And so, he, throughout his, the course of his life, he came up with 70 of them. When he first started, he had 21. But... <clears throat> Here's what he's saying. Here's a wise man telling himself, I must be resolved to hear the voice of wisdom. Okay? And here's uh, a few things he said. Resolve, number four. Never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. Okay? So he's saying... He's saying, I'm going to resolve in myself that I'm going to do everything I do to the glory of God. That's his resolution. Number five, he says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Man, think about that. Think how your life would be radically transformed if we live by that one simple principle in our life. To make the most of every moment of time and make it the most profitable uh, uh, use of our time that we possibly could. Number six, he says, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. This is the idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. With everything you have, God commands, love me. Amen? This is the highest calling of all and the greatest commandment. To love God with everything that you have. But friends, it is so much tied to this idea of making the most of your time. (coughs) What are you doing with your time? If you want to live as a wise man, you must make the most of your time. If you don't want to be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, you must make the most of your time. If you want it to go well with your family, if you want it to go well in your marriage, you must make the most of your time. 
Amen? What do your children need the most? They need God, whom you love, and you can only impart it to them with your time. Amen? Amen. We must make the most of our time in order that we do what is most beneficial for our lives and for the lives of our families. Here are things which can be done to make the most of time. And this is a quote from Albert Barnes. He's a um, very common New Testament commentator. And uh, here's what he says. He says, these things can, can help you to make the most of your time. In gaining useful knowledge. Okay? So he's saying you need to grow in, in knowing things in order to be able to make the most of your time. He says, in doing good to others. Okay? Here is a way to make the most of your time. Do you, know, do you realize how many needs are around you? Plenty. More than you can shake a stick at. There are more needs in this room right here this morning, which are right here in your direct presence, than you can shake a stick at or spend the rest of your time in your life trying to meet those needs. And this is what we must do. Jesus says, the new commandment I give you that you what? That you love one another. Right? This is what Christian life is all about. Walk in love, therefore, and be imitators of God. Amen? God help us. He says, make the most of your time in employing it for the purpose of an honest livelihood for themselves and families. Here's what he's saying. Go to work. Go to work. That's what he's saying. You want to make the most of your time? Go work. Work with your hands so that you'll have something to share. So that your family will, will have full bellies and a roof over their head and clothes on their back. Amen? That's what he's saying. There's another way to make the most of your time. Here's another one for you. Make the most of your time in prayer and self-examination to make the heart better. Oh, that we would spend just a bit of time in prayer. But you know, when you really think about it, I, I, I realize there may be a couple of prayer warriors in here. But when you really think about it, how much time do you spend in prayer? And you wonder where the time goes. For me, that's utterly convicting. Because I know I need to be spending more time in prayer than I do. But you see, here's what happens is, we get down the road, we get caught in the trap of our own folly, and then we wonder what happened. And we look back on what's been going on, and we've been wasting our time. You with me? Don't let your time be wasted. Employ it in prayer. Here's another one he says. In seeking salvation and endeavoring to do the will of God. In seeking salvation and endeavoring to do the will of God. You know, as Christians, we have no other purpose for our life. Is our life here about collecting things? Are we like John Piper says? Are we going to get to the other side and stand before the throne of glory on the day of judgment, and we're going to say, Look, Lord, see my shells? Yeah, he tells a story about this couple who retired on the beach in Florida, and now they spend their days holding hands, romantically walking on the beach, collecting shells. And, of course, the title of his book is Don't Waste Your Life. And he's talking about doing the will of God. 
and he, he has this picture where these people are standing before the Lord Jesus saying, look Lord, see my shells? And, 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 and is that really what the Lord is going to consider being the uh, multiplication of our talents? You with me? What's that? Uh huh. Okay. Uh, something good about collecting shells? Yes. Relaxation. But you got to read the context of the book to get to get the understanding. And when you do, you'll agree that uh, a lifestyle of collecting shells on the beach does not tend to the glory of God. So, uh, I'm sorry. I would I wouldn't agree that it does. Although, of course, we must be together if we're married. Amen? And wisdom is going to demand that of us. In fact, our marriage should be a manifestation of the Christ church relationship. Amen? Which Paul is going to go on to tell us here in this same chapter. He's going to tell us that, that uh, husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Which means they must be together. Amen? And that the wife is to reverence the husband. Amen? But <clears throat> the idea then is to make the most of our time. He also explains, Paul explains why we should do this. Why should we do this? He says, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Evil is all around us, tempting us to waste our time and squander it away in useless endeavors which bring no fruit at all. Our main goal of Christian life is to be as effective and productive as possible. We should be effectively fulfilling the work of the ministry and producing fruit which glorifies God. Now, you know, here I'm telling you, maybe you should think about not collecting shells with the rest of your life. And I'm, I'm telling you here that we are constantly being tempted by the evil of the word world to waste our time and to squander it away in useless endeavors okay those are my words the words of men let me give you the words of the lord jesus christ john chapter 15 he says i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it that it may bear more fruit you are already clean because of the word which i have spoken to you Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is saying that we have this obligation in Christian life to bear fruit, right? Well, what is the fruit of Christian life? Well, we could start with Galatians 5.22, right? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, right? We could probably add several others, like the fruit of light, which is in Ephesians 5. 
goodness and righteousness and truth. And there is a plethora of others all through the New Testament, like (coughs) compassion and humility and all of these godly virtues that should be the fruit of our life. But friends, what should your life look like on a practical basis? When you say, what are the things that I do with my time every day? What are the things that I think in my life? And what are the words that come out of my mouth? Right? Those things, those practical things, should be seasoned by the fruit of the Spirit which lives in your heart. So that your life practically looks like what? The life of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. What did He do with His time when He was on the earth? What did he teach his disciples to do with their time? He went about doing good. Okay, he went about doing good, which was what? What, what are some of the things that Jesus <coughs> did practically, Joe? He served others. Okay, he served others. Yeah, he, he was constantly giving his life to, um, to others in this sense. He was making disciples with his time, and, and a very large portion of his time was given to that. Then he would have the multitudes... Right, The multitudes would come and he would minister to the multitudes and he would seek to, to do good to all men, not just the household of faith. Right, And he would seek to do good how? By telling them wisdom from God. By giving them the message of salvation. Right, Which he then has commanded us to go and do the same thing. And friends, that's what he spent three and a half years teaching his disciples to do. He spent three and a half years teaching them how to go out and spread the message of salvation. To go out and love others practically with the deeds of your hands and with the words of your mouth by telling them the most important thing that they could hear. And then he commanded us to do the same. He said, he said go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Did you think that was just a commandment for them and not for you? Do you think that's just reserved for some kind of leaders in the church? Friends, we already know from chapter 4 what the work of the ministry is and who it belongs to. Who does the work of the ministry belong to? The saints. The church. What is that work of the ministry? Right? What is it? Well, the whole body, as each part does its work, builds itself up in love into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Amen? Through practical works of service, like Joe was saying. Like we see in the life of Jesus. Giving our life and our time to service of Christ in the body of Christ. Amen? Our life shouldn't look like our typical American unbelieving neighbor. If it does, friends, we've got problems. We Christians live a very different life, right? And we need to be making the most of our time doing the works of God, which is first and foremost to believe on the one he has sent. But look, if you believe, the fruit of righteousness ought to be pouring out from your life because you're a fruit tree. And Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And many of you are living examples of this. Many of you are living examples of this. You know, you're out in your workplace and you're ministering to as many people as you can. And your mouth is not shut. And you glorify God. And God is glorified. And you know what? You're not going to lose your reward. 
For every cup of cold water you've given anybody in the name of Jesus, you are not going to lose your reward. And so be encouraged to do it some more. And if you do find yourself on the beach collecting shells, at least tell somebody about Jesus. <laughs> right? And I'm, not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take a rest and go with your wife somewhere and relax. Okay? But that shouldn't be your lifestyle. You shouldn't be working all the days of your life till someday, someday, sometime, we can retire. You don't retire from Christian life. Okay? Maybe you retire from secular employment, but you do not retire from the work of the ministry. Amen? Okay. Look what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Now, for this very reason, also, he says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, here's Peter, and he's exhorting us how to add to our faith. How to make our faith grow. Right? How to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, add these virtues, many of which are just states of being in the heart, but others which are actual um, um, acts. Okay? And um, look what he goes on to say here. He says, For if these qualities are yours in, and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the goal of Christian life is to be useful and productive, fruitful, not useless and unfruitful. Our life is to bear this fruit. That's what Jesus says. That's what Peter the Apostle is telling us. When we add to our faith, we're not going to be ineffective and unproductive. We're going to be useful and we're going to be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're going to be careful how we live. And we're going to live a life that produces good godly fruit. And we're going to do the things that Jesus does. Friends, Jesus is a preacher. When's the last time you went preaching? <laughs> he taught all 12 of his disciples to go preach. You're a preacher. You're just like Noah. Right? In a wicked and perverse generation, everywhere he looks is a mocker and a scoffer and a wicked man. And what's Noah telling him? Right? What's he telling him? The day of the Lord is near. Repent. The day of the Lord is near. Right? You look at all the preachers in the Bible. They're all saying the same thing. Right? Peter tells us, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He says, he was telling people how to have right standing with God. And that's what Jesus taught all of his disciples. Every one of them. Which is you and me. You see, we're supposed to learn what those disciples were learning. Because they were commanded to go out and teach it to us. You with me? WWJDs, right? What would Jesus do? And I think that that's a, a great thing. We should consider what would Jesus do, but we don't stop there. 
Because I want to ask the question, what did Jesus do? And then once we get that figured out, then we ought to go do it. Amen? You with me? And so we need to consider our life in light of all of these holy words. Are we doing the things that we should do? Because inside our heart, we are the people who this Bible says we are in Christ. Amen? Okay, then. Look at verse 17. He says, now now remember what he has said here. He has said, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise men, and make the most of your time because the days are evil. So he says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? Now, here the emphasis is not on deeds. The emphasis is on understanding. Okay? Because now the contrast is being foolish or understanding the will of the Lord. You with me? So he's kind of transitioned from um, how you walk, how you live, how you practice, to now how you think. How you think. What you do with your understanding. As you look at all the circumstances of your life and you process all that stuff through your thinker, right? He says, if you have understanding, you won't be foolish. You'll understand what the will of the Lord is. You'll understand what God desires, what God wants. Amen? You'll understand God's commanded will, His moral will for your life, the way you ought to live, the way you ought to walk, if you're not foolish and have understanding. Right? And so, um, again, the exhortation against folly. The contrast here is to be foolish and to understand what the will of the Lord is. Just yet another contrast from Paul. Obviously, the call here is to understanding versus foolish thinking. So, here's the thing. The wise man understands what the will of the Lord is. The fool here thinks like a fool and doesn't know what God wants. Doesn't know what God thinks. Okay, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't live like an unbeliever who pays no attention to God and doesn't understand the mind of God. Instead, understand what God thinks in his brain so that you can have understanding of what life is for, why we are here, what we should do, who we should be. And friends, the answer to that is the answer to all the questions that you ask in life. Amen? If you understand the will of God, you're right where you need to be. That is, of course, if you're doing it. Amen? We must have a thorough understanding of God's will. This is spiritual wisdom. That is, to understand the will of God. Okay? In order that we can do it. This was Paul's great desire for the church, which he continually prayed. Now, I want to show you where Paul is praying for the church. And I want you to see what he's praying for that church. Look, look at this. Ephesians 1.17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now Paul's praying for the Ephesians and what is he saying? I wish, he says, that they had wisdom. And that God would reveal divine truth to them 
so that they may have a knowledge of God. So that they may know God. He's saying, God, open their eyes. Give them revelation. Give them wisdom from heaven. Cause their minds to know what you know, God. That's what he's saying. Look what he says. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul's praying for the church that God would reveal to them everything that they possess in Christ. And this, he says, is wisdom and it is revelation from God. God has to give it. You can't know these things any other way unless God turns on the light. Amen? Amen? Look how, look how he prays. And so this is, this is God's great desire for you, church. You're that same church. You're that same family of God. Right? And, and if the Apostle Paul was going to pray for you, what would he pray for? He'd pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may have a knowledge of God and that you may understand what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance that you possess in Christ. He wants your eyes to be opened up to the world. What it's for. Why we're here. What we're supposed to do. The answers to all the questions that, that, we, that we have. God wants us to know them. We see that expressed in the heart of the Apostle here. Right? Look what he says in Philippians 1.8. There he, and this I pray, Paul says. What are you praying, Paul? That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And look what he says. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. You see, if you don't get revelation from God about real knowledge and real discernment, how to tell good from evil, if you don't get that from God, you can't approve the things that are excellent. You're just like any unbeliever out there walking in his folly and thinking that he's living for the day when somehow he's going to lay down and relax when really what's going to happen is his body's going to fall apart. He's going to get hurt. He's going to die of his last disease. That's what happens to the wicked. They perish. All the while seeking to somehow try and benefit their life some way, ignoring God all the way through. Who is the only one who has hope beyond the grave? Who can impart life to the soul? Amen? But we Christians have something very different. We have real knowledge, spiritual wisdom and understanding by which we can know the mind of God and know what our life is for and and, and we can understand and believe and trust in the commandments and the statutes and the judgments of the Lord. For what? So that we may learn to fear the Lord our God. That it may go well with us and with our sons and our grandsons. (coughs) Amen? And that's why why Moses' commandment to those Israel families is, is, here's the word of God, love it and impress it upon your family. Amen? And whatever you do, he says, hear. Shema, he says, hear these words of God. Amen? Look at Paul praying in Colossians chapter 1. The same thing. Paul again praying for the church. He says, For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And what are you praying, Paul? 
to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's praying for the church to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants them to know the mind of God. Why, Paul? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects and bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's why. So that the Christians can be who they are, the children of God, the sons of glory. Amen? A people for God's own possession. These are God's people. How do you know? I can see it in their life. It's supernatural. Amen? Paul, zealously praying for spiritual wisdom and understanding in the church. And here in Ephesians, he tells us, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is an imperative commandment for every Christian. Because the days are evil, our minds are naturally tend toward the flesh and to folly. We must be in pursuit of spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this is what the Proverbs are telling us. When the Proverbs talk about wisdom, listen to what they say. They say, acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Right? Somebody have that uh, page number uh, 41 there? Number 41? See the back of that? If you read in the NIV, it says, get wisdom. It says, get understanding. In other words, go out and lay hold of it. Acquire it. You see, because you don't possess it. It's not in your hands yet. Until you've gone out and acquired it. Until you've grabbed a hold of it. You see? And that's the, that's the commandment in the Bible when you, under, when you talk about wisdom. He's saying, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says in Proverbs, acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. And do not forget it or turn away from the words of my mouth. Right? Do not forsake wisdom, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Acquire wisdom. What is the beginning of wisdom? To get more wisdom. You see that? That's what the scripture says. Right? And with all your acquiring, he says, get understanding. How about this? Proverbs 23, 23. He says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. (coughs) Right? Why? Because she's more valuable than riches. She's more valuable than gold. Than many fine things. Wisdom is more supreme than all those earthly things, including seashells. You want to get something? Get wisdom. Get spiritual wisdom and understanding so that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and bear fruit in every good work. Amen? You see, if you're you're walking around and all you're thinking is the wisdom of God, what do you suppose is going to happen with your actions? What do you suppose your life is going to look like? 
When all you can do is pursue wisdom and pursue what pleases God and all you want to do is love Him and serve Him and worship Him and you're doing that with all of your strength, what do you suppose your life is going to look like? But you see, those are the very things that the Bible's commanding us to do, church. And if we do that, listen, she's going to guard us. She's going to protect us. She's going to watch over us. And God is going to be the one to make sure that it goes well with us. Amen? Don't you want to invoke the blessing of God in your life? Then don't be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is. Amen? So that you can do it. You know, you got that Bible? Read that Bible. Read that thing a hundred times. And you'll be on the start. You'll be on the first block on the path to getting a hold of wisdom. And you know what the next block on the path is? Read the Bible a hundred more times. Because your mind does not tend to supernatural wisdom in and of itself. It comes by revelation, friends. It comes by revelation. I want to show you this. Is the wisdom of God within you, is the wisdom of God resident within your mind by nature? I'm asking that question. Is the wisdom of God resident in your mind by nature? Were you born with it? No, you had to learn it. You had to acquire it. And, and many of you know what I mean. It didn't actually come into your brain until God himself turned the light on. And for many of you, it was like this. Flip on the switch and pow! All of a sudden, I understand the mysteries of the universe. That's how it was for me, and I'm not saying that's the only way it happens. A lot of people grow up in a Christian home, and they they learn very properly and very gradually the wisdom of God as they as they seek it from God in the Scripture, and God reveals it that way. Others of us, it happens a very different way, right? We hit rock bottom, and one day we cry out to God, and guess, guess what? God answers, right? But one way or the other. Wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding only comes by the revelation of God. He has to give it. He has to be the one to turn on the light and cause the eye to see. Amen? That's why Paul's praying to God. I pray that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. What are you asking for, Paul? He's asking for God to turn on the light in the minds of the church. Amen? And we've got to be in pursuit of this. And in closing here, I want to show you how this is a principle with wisdom. The principle with wisdom. Look, what is the beginning of wisdom? What did I just tell you? Acquire wisdom, right? Of course, it is the fear, the fear of the Lord. It also says in another place in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In another place it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Right? So you don't know anything until you fear God. Right? You're not wise in any way until you fear God. Right? <coughs> but what is the beginning of wisdom? Get Acquire wisdom. Get wisdom. Get it. Go pursue it. Okay? This is the principle of wisdom. And if you will, look with me at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. And it's right there on the back of your page 41. Right? Here's what it says. Okay, now, I want you to remember the context of our lesson. Verse 17, Ephesians 5. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And I'm trying to tell you that the key to that is right here in Proverbs 2. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Okay? Listen. Right here, Solomon tells us how we can discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Here's how we do it. Six things we are exhorted to do here to acquire wisdom. The first is, treasure my commandments within you. Friend, they've got to be your treasure. You've got to treasure the Word of God. His commandments have to be what is for you like hidden treasure. Like I heard about the other day. Did you hear about this? They found that treasure over there. How many of you heard about that? It's like, what is it, $10 billion? They found 600 and something barrels filled with Spanish gold, which they had been looted from the Mayan uh, kingdoms on this island. 600 barrels full, and they added it up. It was worth $10 billion. The guys who found it are splitting it even with the uh, uh, Brazilian government. I think it's Brazil or one of those countries down there. And, uh, you know, you think, wow, man, five billion, man, I'm rich, right? God paves streets with that stuff. The things that are highly esteemed among men are detestable in the sight of God. We will walk on that stuff in heaven, friends, okay? Here's what's valuable. Acquire wisdom. Get understanding. Know the will of God. How? Treasure it. Seek for it as for hidden treasure. Let it be your delight. Right? You know that blessed man in Psalm 1? What does it say in Psalm 1 verse 2? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water which brings forth its fruit in its season. And whatsoever he does, he prospers and his leaf does not wither. That blessed man, how did he get there? His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's what he loves. That's what he treasures. You've got to treasure it. Uh, verse 2, it says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Okay? Look, here's this principle. When you're reading your Bible, open up that Bible and just, just think to yourself, Okay, I'm going to find the wisdom of God. I'm going to make my ear attentive to it and stop and read those words very carefully and then think, how does this apply to my life? What are you saying to me, God? Right? Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Here's another word for that. Shema. O Israel. Hear. Hear the word of God. That's what he's saying. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. And look what he says. Incline your heart to understanding. Incline your heart. Right? In other words, be prepared for wisdom to reprove you. Right? Be prepared to receive that knowledge by which you can prove what things are excellent. 
Be prepared to have discernment so that you can know good from evil. So that you can do what is good and righteous and holy. Amen? You've got to incline your heart to it. And look what he says in verse 3. He says, if you cry for discernment. How often do you cry for the knowledge of God? How often does, does your soul just thirst and hunger for the righteousness of God? Friends, it's all right here. It's all right here. Everything you ever desired in all of your days is found in God, in Christ Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen? You're not a bunch of paupers. You're very rich people. No one possesses the riches you possess except the church. Everything is yours. Whether life or death or the earth or heaven or hell, you own it all. You're the sons of God. He's given you everything that there is. That's what the Bible says. You're rich beyond your wildest imagination. You have power to trample every demon in your life. Everything, every sin that you struggle with, you have power from God to overcome it. It's yours. Just lay hold of it. Incline your heart to it. Make your ear attentive to it. Search for it. Treasure it. Cry out for it. He says, lift your voice for understanding. And here the idea is, pray to God. God, help me understand. Lift up your voice to heaven and make sure God knows that you want to know His mind and His heart. You know what the Bible says in James. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God gives to all liberally who ask for wisdom. Amen? And then lastly, he says, if you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures... I want to tell you, if you do those things, he says, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Amen. And then you will not be foolish, but you will understand what the will of the Lord is. Amen. Shall we pray? God, we thank you, Lord, for these words. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us, Lord, that great hunger and thirst for your your wisdom. God, may we have this impressed upon our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we would spend our time, oh God, searching for your wisdom and crying aloud for it and inclining our heart to it, God. May we not spend another minute in folly, God, but help us to make the most of our time, I pray. Convict us, God, every time we're wasting our time. May it be as a heavy load to us, God. And may we find those things which are acceptable to you. God, which edify us and build us up and strengthen our families and fill our homes with your love and your peace and your joy. God, give us understanding of these things, I pray. We thank you, Lord, for your love to us and for your holy word. In Jesus' name. Amen.